This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We're joined by our friend Charles Cook. He is editor for National Review Online. He's the author of the Conservatarian Manifesto at Charles C.W. Cook with an E at the end of Cook on Twitter. Mr. Charles, good to have you, sir. Good to be here. How are you? Good, man. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, Let's talk about a few things. A lot going on in the news. Wanted to start... Uh, with your piece, just because I feel like I didn't get a chance to talk about this when it happened, and so now I can revisit it. No, of course you can't punch Nazis in the face. You know that, Charles. I know that, and everyone listening knows that. But there are some so-called luminaries on the left who seem to think that there's a real debate, a real discussion to be had about whether punching Richard Spencer, the alt-right, whatever you want to call alt-right guy, in the face has happened on video might just be okay. There were otherwise serious people that were advancing that narrative or at least pondering it. There were. And then even the New York Times presented it as if it was a real debate, a real moral quandary that we had to struggle through together. Just as uh, supporting uh, the right to a trial and the presumption of uh, innocence uh, does not mean that one is siding with or supporting murderers and rapists. Uh, defending uh, the speech rights and the physical rights of uh, an awful person such as uh, Richard Spencer does not mean that I'm sympathizing with the Nazis. Unfortunately, uh, many on the left seem not to be able to grasp this distinction. fact is, uh, Richard Spencer is an American citizen. He has views that I find utterly abhorrent. He finds views that I consider to be inimical to the American order. Uh, But the government cannot silence him simply because his opinions are ugly. Uh, And nor can private citizens uh, punch him, assault him, batter him uh, in any way, at least uh, without being punished for it. And I think even uh, over and above the legal point is the moral point here uh, that we should not strive toward a culture uh, in which people take it upon themselves to decide whose opinions uh, are sufficiently ugly uh, that they would lose the protection of civilization uh, and uh, of society. And we can do this all day. If the argument in favor of punching Richard Spencer in the face uh, is that the views he holds uh, are dangerous, well, then uh, why can I not punch uh, a communist in the face? Why can I not punch Angela Davis in the face? Or why can I not indeed uh, punch uh, a radical Muslim uh, in the face? And how far do we take it? I happen to believe people who want to impose hate speech laws in the United States are dangerous. I uh, happen to believe those who want to repeal the Second Amendment are dangerous. I believe many of the people on college campuses who have no respect whatsoever for due process uh, are dangerous. Uh, should I uh, be given some sort of open season on them? The answer, of course, is no. That's not how civilized, enlightened societies work. Uh, we do not uh, fight illiberalism with illiberalism, uh, and we don't prove our anti-fascist credentials by behaving 
uh, like fascists. I think there was a, a rise in the effort uh, with, the, with the media uh, to, and you saw a lot of this in the, in the rhetoric used by anti-Trump protesters too, to link feeling unsafe because of somebody's rhetoric with them being an imminent threat to you. So then all of a sudden it becomes, well, your words are so incendiary and your words are so damaging and hurtful that I feel unsafe. This was a lot of the anti-Trump protesters and a lot of the the anti-Trump movement, both before and and even more so after the election, seem to rely on this formulation. I think that that is dangerous because once you start to take the position that words create Uh, words create reasonable fear words meaning just ideological positions not not actual threats and not incitement to violence then you then you all of a sudden make a very short leap instead of a very large leap to well this person is threatening me i'm unsafe because of their beliefs therefore i must stop them from threatening me and this is where i think you get people punching people in the face because they don't like what they say and this is of course the trick in most countries in the world, there are such thing, uh, things as hate speech laws. Now, America doesn't have that. Uh, America has never gone down that road. The First Amendment prohibits it. Uh, but the rationale for hate speech laws is that speech can be violent, or at least that speech can be equated with violence. Uh, in America, uh, the test is very different. Under the 1969 Supreme Court case in Brandenburg v. Ohio, Speech is really held to be sacrosanct and protected, uh, except in an extraordinarily narrow circumstance. And that circumstance uh, is if somebody is inciting imminent uh, violence or law-breaking. And the imminent line uh, is is an important one because uh, people saying things that make you feel unsafe, people saying rude things about you, uh, that doesn't count. Uh, For example, if I were to say on your radio show, Uh, This is, of course, hypothetical. If I were to say on your radio show that I think the U.S. government should be overthrown, that would be protected under Brandenburg. If I were to say, uh, Buck, uh, I think the people who are listening should go out tomorrow and try and overthrow the government. We'll meet at 7 a.m. at this address. We'll bring our firearms. Well, that's a little different. That is uh, incitement. Uh, Richard Spencer is an extremely unpleasant individual, but he was not inciting anybody. He didn't actually say anything. He was punched for uh, who he is, for what he believes. Uh, and in a sense, that's a sort of thought crime. Uh, had he got up on a podium uh, and said to the assembled crowd, uh, go and kill that person, or this person is Jewish or black, I think we should beat them up now. Well, then he would have been Uh, both uh, prosecutable, most likely under the law, and also you can make a case for self-defense. But simply being there, simply walking around, uh, simply holding his views, uh, or even expressing them in the abstract, that's not good enough. Uh, And I don't want us as a country to get into a mindset that if you are uh, threatened by somebody, uh, by their abstract uh, ideals, uh, that that is the same as being physically assaulted. It's not. Charles, I also want to ask you about your piece uh, on nationalview.com, Constitutional Carry Marches On. Where where does Constitutional Carry stand? Bring us up to speed on all this. Well, it really has been a, a remarkable uh, last few years. In 1990, there was one state Uh, that uh, had no permitting system for concealed carriers, and that was Vermont. Uh, Not because Vermont is uh, especially 
conservative, although it is in some ways, uh, but because the original state uh, uh, right to keep and bear arms had been interpreted to prohibit any laws at all, effectively. If you look through the books in Vermont, you'll find pretty much nothing uh, because of that decision. Uh, So they just never put in a permitting system. It was a quirk. Uh, But this idea, sometimes called constitutional carry, sometimes called Vermont carry, uh, has spread. Uh, Montana has a a version of it, not quite full constitutional carry, that they put in in 1991. Uh, And then a few states uh, began to add their names to the list. Uh, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Um, And it's starting to increase uh, remarkably quickly. Uh, Last year, we saw West Virginia, uh, we saw Missouri. Uh, In 2015, we saw Maine. Um, you know, there are now 12 constitutional carry states. By the end of this year, there are probably going to be 16. And I identify three, four, five, six more, I think, uh, may go by the end of uh, this decade. Uh, if you look at the increase both in land uh, that is now governed by constitutional carry uh, government uh, and uh, people, uh, in the case of land, uh, we've gone from one quarter of a percent of the entire land mass of the United States uh, to 42% in 25 years. Uh, and in terms of people, uh, we've gone from you know a quarter of a percent, again, of the population uh, to uh, 18% uh, of the people. Uh, it seems entirely possible uh, that by the end of this year alone, one half of uh, all of the American landmass will be governed by uh, governments that have a constitutional carry approach to gun ownership. That's a remarkable change. Do you think that Trump is going to be helpful on this issue? Uh, do you think that a Trump presidency is, for Second Amendment supporters, going to be uh, quite successful? That's a good question. I mean, most of the energy for this, or all of the energy, in fact, has come from the states. States, and, uh, yeah. One thing Barack Obama did uh, is wipe out his own party. I mean, he really was the only beneficiary of the Obama movement. His own party at all levels has been decimated. Uh, so, you know, just as with, with right to work, the states have led this fight, not the president and not Congress. Um, I think in some regards, uh, he'll probably be good for Second Amendment advocates. But really, the energy here comes from below. I mean, there's a reason uh, why Barack Obama was unable to get any of his gun items through, and that is that they're unpopular. Uh, I know progressives think that the NRA is this pernicious organization that slips lawmakers, you know, brown paper bags full of uh, uh, money. But that's not why Congress votes the way it does. It's not why the states uh, have the laws they have. Uh, The reason for that is the Second Amendment is popular, and people tend to agree with the NRA. So uh, around the edges, perhaps Trump will uh, help. But Trump is more of a symptom uh, of a pro-gun culture in the United States than he is uh, the cause of anything. And he says on Twitter, which now feels more and more like it's an official uh, an official state announcement, like he's speaking, he's speaking from uh, from behind the podium in the, in the West Wing or something or in the White House. Uh, I'll be making my Supreme Court pick on Thursday of next week. That was from earlier today. Uh, Do you think this is going to make a lot of conservatives happy? Are you expecting a good pick? Yes, I am. I am. As you know, I'm something of a critic of Trump's, but this is one area 
I think he'll probably get it right. Of course, there'll then be an enormous fight in the Senate because the filibuster still obtains for Supreme Court appointments. Uh, we'll see how the Democratic senators in states that are up in 2018 vote. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, Claire McCaskill uh, in Missouri, uh, Tester out in Montana, you know, the, the uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, it's possible that Republicans will get to 60 without a uh, fight, but they did block uh, Merrick Garland for a year. And I think Democrats will be quite upset about that. So we could be in for one hell of a Barney, the Irish say. Uh, still, I think the nomination itself will be salutary from a conservative perspective. Charles Cook is editor of National Review Online. He's also the author of the Conservative Manifesto, which you can get on Amazon.com. And uh, read his latest on NationalReview.com. Charles, thank you so much. Always good to have you, my friend. We appreciate you making the time. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, 888-900-3393-TEAM. We've got a lot more coming. Stay with me. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Team, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Uh, Shamont, do we have David Muir and uh, David Muir and Donald Trump uh, talking about the wall? Do we have that clip any chance? We do. All right, let's play it from ABC News. Trump laying it down. Going to direct U.S. funds to pay for this wall. Will American taxpayers pay for the wall? Uh, ultimately, it'll come out of what's happening with Mexico. We're going to be starting those negotiations relatively soon. And we will be in a form reimbursed by Mexico, which I've so always said. So they'll pay said. us back? Yeah, absolutely, 100 percent. So yes. the American taxpayer will pay for the wallet first? Uh, all it is is we'll be reimbursed at a later date from whatever transaction we make from Mexico. Mexico's president said in recent days that Mexico absolutely will not pay, adding that it goes against our dignity as a country and our dignity as Mexicans. He says well, quite simply they're not paying. To, David, I think he has to say that. He has to say that. But I'm just telling you, there will be a payment. It will be in a form, perhaps a complicated form. And you have to understand, what I'm doing is good for the United States. It's also going to be good for Mexico. We want to have a very stable, very solid Mexico. When does construction begin? As soon as we can. As soon as we can physically do it, we're... uh, Within months? uh, I would say in months, yeah. I would say in months. Certainly planning is starting immediately. If he starts building this wall, I got to say, it's just going to cause such an upheaval in the way that people have been talking about this for quite a while. And look, I didn't think that he was going to go right ahead and build the wall quickly. I thought maybe it would be a little piece here, a little piece there. And that's it will be in that form in terms of the actual construction. But I mean, they were going to take it as a piecemeal issue. Maybe that will still happen, but that it would take quite a while to get it all going. He's saying within a few months and Mexico may pay for it. Of course, that's symbolic. The, the uh, well, largely symbolic. The estimates that I've seen are that the border wall would cost about 14 billion dollars, which 
Sounds like a lot of money until you realize that Medicare and Medicaid loses 60 to 80, uh, 60 to 80 billion dollars a year in fraud, I think, is the let me make sure I have that number right. Um, Medicare fraud, because I, I, I hate I hate getting that wrong. Medicare fraud estimate. I think it's 60 to 80 billion dollars. Let's see what we have on this one. Am I am I crazy? Am I? Yep. 60 billion dollars. Bam. Even when I think I'm wrong, I am not. So, uh, yeah, Medicare is $60 billion a year. So $14 billion for a wall, when you put it in that context, certainly does not look quite as, um, quite as intense as a pri- uh, of a price tag. So uh, Trump says he's going to do that, and he might, in fact, make that happen, which, hmm, Mexico paying for it isn't, is more of a symbolic issue, as I said, than a, a budgetary or financial issue. Although $14 billion really for anybody is a lot of money, I think. Uh, and he may go forward with this. This is uh, this is going to put quite a shock into the D.C., into the into the Beltway Insider community. And I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't think he was really going to go forward with this one quickly. Now, it hasn't happened, and there may, this is, this is part of this, too. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of my skis here, even though I've never been skiing. You know that? Isn't that just... Isn't that just outrageous? Um, by the way, I love Charles Cook. He's a great guy, a brilliant guy. But I feel like every time we finish the interview, he's kind of like his his goodbye is not is not like the big the big hug that we all Team Buck is giving Charles. Like I feel like he's a little he's a little apathetic when he says goodbye. It makes me a little sad because I think Charles is the greatest. Uh, it's just a British thing, I know. But anyway, I digress. He's always like. Yeah, thanks for having me. But he says it in that British way, you know. Uh, British accent's a huge advantage in life. Ladies, business, everything. All right, back to a, a, But then there's also the, the David Muir effect, which is just you're super handsome and people, therefore, not only want to make you rich and famous, but imbue you with gravitas based on nothing just because you're, you're like this handsome guy. Man, oh, man, to have won the genetic lottery. Maybe I'll come back in another life. Uh, where were we? On the wall? Yeah, wall is going to get built, it looks like. Oh, by the way, Ted Cruz won Twitter last night. Uh, Ted Cruz in an exchange. I'm trying to find the exchange right now. If you didn't see it, it's with Deadspin, and it is awesome. It's really funny what Ted Cruz did, and that's something that uh, Cruz could have used more of. Um, I think he really could have used a little more levity in his campaign and his persona. I know people say, Buck, that's not what he's about, but it's politics and people like that stuff. So Deadspin, I don't even know how this happened, but they said, send us proof of Ted Cruz playing basketball. And he sent this photo of a Duke player that looks so much like Ted Cruz. It's crazy. And he tweeted out, what do I win? And then Deadspin responded to him, go eat doo-doo except they didn't say doo-doo they said something else and then ted cruz pulled out anchorman meme boy that escalated quickly i gotta say props to cruz on this one i i could have funny ted cruz but funny self-deprecating ted cruz could win a national election really believe that and i know that that's not about the substance and everything but you know what pushes politics these days it is persona, it is personality, it is connection with the voter. And this was hilarious. Go check it out on Ted Cruz's account.
is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Team, I know there are a ton of dog lovers in this audience, and one of you reached out to ask me if we could book someone who's an expert on pit bulls because there's been some controversy recently surrounding this particular breed. And I know a lot of you have dogs, and almost all of you, maybe all of you, love dogs. So I wanted to bring somebody on to address some of this controversy. For example, the military won't allow pits in military communities. Uh, there were two kids who were attacked recently by pit bulls walking to school, very seriously injured. Uh, children have been killed by pit bulls in the news. Uh, we have seen some communities, uh, living communities, whether apartment buildings or uh, housing areas where they won't allow pit bulls as a breed. Some veterinarians say never get a pit bull if you plan to have kids. Others say pit bulls are total sweethearts. What is true? What is false? Well, we're joined by Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He's a world-renowned veterinary behaviorist and research scientist, and he's also a best-selling author. His latest book is Pets on the Couch, Neurotic Dogs, Compulsive Cats, Anxious Birds, and the New Science of Animal Psychiatry. Dr. Dodman, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so you heard some of uh, what we wanted to hit on today. First, let's just let's start with pit bulls and, and work our way down the list of a lot of the the debates around uh, around this particular breed. Although it's not even a very well defined breed in many cases, and, and media coverage of it can be kind of sloppy when they talk about pit bulls. Are what we generally think of as pit bulls, based on the research and the science, more aggressive than other breeds of dog? Well, there is some science. Um uh, a colleague of mine who I'm doing some research with uh, at the so-called Center for Canine Behavior Studies, uh, Dr. James Serpell from um, Pennsylvania uh, University of uh, Philly. Um, he invented a behavioral score system called the CBOC, Canine Behavior and Research Questionnaire. And I've asked him a question directly. I said, are pit bulls more aggressive than other breeds? And according to this, questionnaire, which um, now has about 11,000 dogs in it and a large number of pit bulls, they are not, according to this uh, study, um, any more aggressive to people than any other breed. You know, just looking at it just numerically, they, they don't turn out to be more aggressive than any other breed. However, they are significantly more aggressive than other breeds to other dogs. So... Huh. You know, you, you can couch that a little bit. It's, uh, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt because there are pit bulls and there are pit bulls. And I, I think the first thing to say is that not, not many people know what a pit bull is because you're right, their definition is kind of fuzzy. And when they banned them in my former country, England, um, police were running around arresting um, English bull terriers and uh, mastiffs and all kinds of dogs. They had no idea what a pit bull was and certainly not a pit bull cross. Um, and that confusion came across in that news that you just um, said about the, you know, a couple of pit bulls attacked these children. Uh, it came out um, of, of an apology the next day that I'm afraid we got the breeds wrong. One was a border collie and the other was a pit mix, not a, not a pit bull. So nobody kind of knows what they are. A lot of times they've got the blame when it wasn't a pit bull. And, and that's been shown scientifically and published in the American Veterinary Medical Association Journal. Um, you know, so you, you can actually make a good case for them not being bad players. Um, and it's true. 
uh, I think one of my dogs has at least some pit in it, so I'm not you know, anti-pit, uh, but I'm realistic. And they ban some, them in the UK? I didn't. I didn't know that. You mentioned a ban, or was that just a partial ban? No, a total ban of actually three breeds: the um, pit bull, uh, the um, I think it was the Presicanario, perhaps. Yeah, Presicanario. Oh, yeah. no, the, the, the Japanese Tosa, which is like a 200-pound pit bull on steroids. And the other was um, a Brazilian Fila. Those three were banned as being more aggressive than other breeds. So, but on the good side, um, a lot of them are really sweet dogs. And people who own them will say, well, I have one, and he's a, a love bug. And there's film going around now of an Instagram picture of a little baby lying on a pit bull's tummy and the pit bull's licking the baby, and people call them the nanny dog. And you're right, people do say they're very sweet with children, and they can be. But now if you move into the dogfighting uh, department, you know, they have them for a reason. It's because they're, you know, good dogfighters and were somewhat bred for that in the pit fighting days. Um, but even so, those specialists, those people who like to fight dogs, um, they divide them into two types. There's the, the one they call game. And game means, you know, up for a fight. And then there's the other ones who are rather sort of sweet and docile. And I'm afraid they often use those as bait dogs to be attacked, just to give the other dog practice. And I see that myself. So in my practice, I see really sweet pit bulls come in. They're really nice. And others, um, to me, look menacing. Very large head, direct stare, tense body. Um, They look a little bit like a a giant tadpole with a huge head tapering down to little narrow hips. And I'm like, ooh, this could be a problem. And I get all kinds of horror shows, dogs, you know, snapped in half. Uh, one story was two, a lady walking her two dogs and the pit bull attacked one and killed it and then attacked the other one who was in the process of killing it. The lady tried to intervene and she got killed and, and all three of them died in the end, the two dogs and the lady. And I've seen that type of thing several times. So maybe it's a real small minority of them, but you have to remember that they're very powerful dogs, um, they're bred from bulldog and terrier. They used to call them bull and terrier in the early days. Uh, and they took the power and tenacity of the bulldog and its um, hanging on bite, because they were bred to, in those days to jump at a bull's nose in bull baiting and hang on while the bull flicked its head from side to side, the dog's hanging on and being spun around in the air. Tenacity, launch, aggression, determination, and they mixed it with the, with the speed of the terrier. So if you're unlucky enough to get that sort of relatively pure original uh, gene set um, for um, a pit bull, you can still, um, as a responsible owner, I would say it's not a breed for the novice, you can still make that dog very obedient to you, very well trained and safe. But if you have an inkling as a bad human being that either through um, purposefully or through not really understanding things and the dog turns into be aggressive, if you've got a game dog, it can be uh, very dangerous. I often now, like so part, part of the ba- of the reputation they've developed then is a result just of the the bite is much more damaging. I mean, to make a a comparison, if someone's Chihuahua becomes very aggressive, I have a friend who's a dog behavioralist here in New York, and she said she was dealing with a very aggressive Maltese at one point, and that almost sounded kind of funny to me until she said no. But it really around children, it'll bite their fingers, and it's. It, mm-hmm. But no, no one's going to die because the Maltese goes bad. 
with a pit bull, it's a very it's a it's really like a weapon. It's a very serious uh, those jaws and that strength, uh, the strength around them uh, can be lethal. Right. So that that's also a part of this is that there's yeah, just so a disparate do, impact of the bite. Yeah, there was a 20 year study done of um, lethal dog bites attacks in the United States uh, several years ago. They, they looked at the preceding 20 years and pit bull emerged as the number one dog responsible for lethal dog bike attacks. And. You know, that may be true, but the fact is when you compare the number of people dying, you know, we've got 75 million dogs in the country and 300 million people, um, relatively speaking, very few deaths. Okay, so pit bulls are tipped as being, you know, more represented in the, the, the lethal dog bite attacks. But when you look at the actual numbers, um, there are far more homicides. I mean, if you were to meet um, a strange, you know, say a pit bull on a dark night or a person on a dark night, you're much more likely to be injured or hurt or robbed or killed by the person than the dog. It's like 7,000 homicides per year versus 10 or 12 uh, deaths due to dog bites. But, but it's a fact that, yeah, there are some bad players, and people will say, and there's some truth in that, that you know, there's no such thing as a bad dog, just a bad owner. And owners can really factor in, and there are some bad dudes out there who will cultivate them for aggression. And I had one of those, a, a woman in uh, Rhode Island who trained her dog to attack people's feet using a mannequin. And every time the dog attacked and bit the feet, it got rewarded. And so I had a thing about feet and it attacked this 70 year old woman. And she managed to batter it off with a trash can lid because she was emptying the trash, but uh, she lost her leg. And that uh, changed her psyche and ruined the rest of her life. And that same dog had flown across the road to attack a dog, a little dog. And the man picked up the little dog and the pit bull flew at the little dog in his arms. The man was so upset he had a heart attack and died. So that dog disappeared and so did the woman. So she wasn't there for any subsequent lawsuit. I've got two lawsuits involving pit bulls going on right now, um, you know, attacking strangers coming to the property. So the dogs no doubt are loving and sweet with their own family, but sometimes it's the stranger who comes in as the target. And, and you're right about the bite. I mean, there is a rumor that they have a locking mechanism in the jaw, which is not true. But the fact is, when a, when a pit bull bites, it does, and it's not just pit bulls, a lot of other bull breeds too, they have a very tenacious bite. Uh, and I've witnessed this with my own eyes when my own dog, Jasper, who's a black and tan coonhound, was attacked on a beach by a pit bull. And it took um, about six of us to get the pit bull off him. It took about four minutes, and I thumped the pit bull on the head with my hand very hard to make him let go and uh, broke a bone in my hand. Uh, I mean, it was a real struggle. It's not like a German Shepherd bite, which is, you know, the German Shepherd is the number one biter in the country, uh, most frequent biter. Um, but the bites are usually of a less severe type. It's sort of a nip and run type thing, and it's painful and tears your clothes, or you get a bite in the back of your leg, but you don't get hung onto like a pit bull. So it's not the locking mechanism, it's just very powerful jaws and you know determination perseverance that they just hang on through thick and thin and when you think about it well, I've one, dr dotson i have to ask you I've, I have one more question for you and then we're going to be running into our, our, our break here um for those who want to just understand signs to look for uh, that that a, just a person who's i mean you're a veterinary behaviorist and, and research scientist but just for the for the average person what are the warning signs of a dog that's that's about to get aggressive pitbull or otherwise well, um, I've become expert in this because um, having 
had my dog attacked, when I see one coming towards me, I always uh, evaluate him and I look at him carefully. And if a dog, pit bull, on leash or not, is walking towards you and his body's relaxed and his head's held low, if he licks his lips or looks to the side, um, you know, tail's low, you know, he's in a non-threatening position. He looks a little bit like Eeyore in the house at Pooh Corner. Um, but if the dog is standing there like proud as punch with his chest sort of puffed out like a big barrel chest and he's staring with searchlight eyes, I give those ones a wide pass. All right. Dr. Nicholas Dodman, world-renowned veterinary behaviorist and research scientist. Check out his book, Pets on the Couch, Neurotic Dogs, Compulsive Cats, Anxious Birds, and the New Science of Animal Psychiatry. Dr. Dodman, thank you so much for calling. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Team, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Our friend, Shamont, who is a board op and producer on the show here, has owned Pitbull. So I wanted to get get his take on all this stuff. What do you think of what the doc had to say, Shamont? Uh, I kind of agree with the majority of what he had to say. But um, the thing about Pitbull is that most people don't understand is that uh, when they lock jaw on you, you have to um, throw a bucket of water. And people, I'm all people like, what? Bucket of water? But that's, that's mainly for... Uh, to the, their breathing and pits. how many pits did you have? I had two. So basically, like it's like a short. It's almost like waterboarding. It, it simulates, you know, the, the water. You know, gets. I mean, I mean that though. Like it, it freaks them out if you pour water over yeah, their nose and their snout. Yeah, and, is that? And they and they let go. Uh, actually, I had one of my males uh, attack the female pit. Uh, they were in heat and she didn't want to give them that, so uh, he attacked her. And yeah, it 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 kind of went crazy. Were they, were they okay? How many have you had? Just, I, I just had, found this out in the break, everybody. I didn't know Shimon had pit bulls, so this wasn't planned, but he told me he did. So I want to ask, how many have you had? I had two. Two of them. All right. Overall, with people, were they cool, though? Were they always pretty friendly to people? Oh, yeah. They were real cool. Real cool. And did they ever go out, other than each other, you told me, did they ever go after other dogs? Did you always have to watch out for that? Uh, they just they just barked. Uh, they didn't really attack anybody. How big were your pits, out of curiosity? Oh, they were, were, they, these, were, they, were they were big. They were pretty big. They were pretty big. Like like seventy eighty pounds kind of big or yeah around that about fifty to seventy fifty to seventy all right <laughs> and and did you have them from when they were puppies uh mid mid size mid size wouldn't say puppies but mid size and they were trained well well though they were like all right. uh, house dogs and like they they guarded the the outside area. And so you would get you would get pits again. You would you would adopt a pit or you would raise a pit again, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nah, not not now, not now. Uh, my mom. Wait, why not? Me. Okay, tell me why. <laughs> nah, because uh, it's it's a lot of work and uh, I, I do a lot of moving around and it just wouldn't. Be no, but I, I meant from a sa- from like a safety perspective and all that. Like that oh, wouldn't yeah. you oh, wouldn't yeah, think? Of course, of course, if if they're trained right and a lot of people take advantage of them, you know, and, and use them for fighting and and. Crazy craziness, but if you if you train them right to to protect, but also be safe around people, it's it's different ways to train them. What and, were your pit's names, by the way? Since we're talking dogs, <laughs> Juicy and and Boss. <laughs> Juicy and Boss. All right, very very good. Well, Shimon, I'm glad the team got a chance to meet you. Say hi to Team Buck. Hey, Team Buck. There we go. Shimon, Shimon, make sure I stay on the rails and keep the show going every day. So there you go. Uh, Shimon, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. Uh, t- team, uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. 
got some great guests in the next hour and want some of your calls too. So light them up. We're going to get back into the politics and national security here coming up. So hour three is going to be rocking it. The Freedom Hut will return in just a few minutes. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. 